Hello and welcome to the HPP Podcast. This is your host, Arden Castle, and each week we explore a new topic related to the Health Promotion Practice Journal. Whether it's demystifying publishing, breaking down a new article, or discussing public health-related topics with other editorial board members, we hope you enjoy each week's exploration into health promotion practice. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Suzanne Grossman, author of How Public Libraries Help Immigrants Adjust to Life in a New Country, a Review of the Literature, and Dr. Lenoir Lenstra and Dr. Renee Amsed-Meyer, authors of Rural Libraries as Resources and Partners for Outside Active Play Streets. They are gonna help us explore partnership opportunities to understand and support health promotion practices in public libraries. But before we get started, I'm gonna ask them to introduce themselves and have them share where they're calling in from. And so, Noah, will you get us started? Of course, yeah. This is Noah Lenstra. I'm calling in from Greensboro, North Carolina, where I am an associate professor of library and information science in the School of Education. And my research and teaching really focus on how and why to most effectively foster and sustain community partnerships involving public librarians, particularly related to public health. And so great to be here. Thank you. Hi, I'm Suzanne. I'm calling in from Harrisonburg, Virginia, where I am an assistant professor of health sciences at James Madison University. My research investigates historically marginalized populations, specifically immigrants, and their use of community spaces in promoting health. Pleasure to be here today. Hi, I'm Renee Amstatt-Meyer, and I'm calling in from Waco, Texas, and I'm a professor of public health and the associate dean for research for the Robbins College of Health and Human Sciences. And my work really focuses on advancing health equity through an active living lens and partnering predominantly with rural communities in doing so. Really excited to be here today. Awesome. And I'm so excited to have all three of you here to provide your different insights. And so to kind of kick us off, how did you all come to the idea of thinking about health promotion and public libraries together? And Suzanne, if you'll get us started. Sure. So I started thinking about health promotion in public libraries when I was doing my doctoral studies. I was kind of stuck on a dissertation topic that seemed meaningful and applied. And so I was working with a mentor and brainstorming ideas. And she said to me, you know, there's so much help that happens in public libraries, you should investigate that. And, and I was really excited about it. And so then I investigated it and things just kind of fell into place for me to pursue that line of thought and research. Yeah, so I guess I'll go ahead. So I kind of fell into it as well, kind of by seeing things happening and then wanting to understand what was happening. So I've been kind of working in and studying public libraries for about 15 years. And I saw all these really just interesting initiatives, like there was a big thing about five years ago about yoga in the library. <laughs> and so I'm like, that's interesting. So it really started from kind of this nugget of seeing interesting things happening and trying to really understand how they were happening. And then secondarily, how can we make this something that's less just kind of idiosyncratic to a local community and really make it into more of a national, maybe even international movement for partnership? Yeah, and um, just I guess I have a slightly different angle because I feel like I stumbled upon libraries and the intersection with what I've been doing as this, oh my goodness, why haven't I been thinking of this before kind of way? And so my work has 
again, been with rural communities for most of the last two decades almost. And in terms of trying to understand the context of what supports or barriers are there for people having access to physical activity opportunities or health promoting opportunities period and understanding what is consistent across different rural communities and what can people access and thinking about schools and then thinking about some of the other places where people might have access to and libraries kept showing up with some of the rural communities. In fact, some work with play streets, which maybe I'll have a little time later to talk a bit more about, but really does temporary types of active play or physical activity activation. So not permanent changes or permanent programs, but they can really show up anywhere. And in some rural communities, libraries were really big partners for that and realizing, and gosh, just like Suzanne was saying, like how much health promotion is happening through libraries was while I feel like I should have known this was kind of one of those eye-opening pieces in my story. And then connecting with Noah a few years ago at a conference and really learning from some of the work he's been doing and then continuing those conversations to really learn what libraries and librarians are doing from the ground up in this realm has been just really, I guess, um, invigorating. I love that. It's all similar in the way that you found your way upon it. I mean, Renee, you said you stumbled into this because it all started with you all having this observation and then wanting to investigate why and how those resources or underappreciated resources were being used and utilized in the community. And so you've all mentioned this piece about how it's doing this health promotion work, but what kind of work do public libraries do related to health promotion? So what is that role of a public librarian in this work, in this greater cause? Yeah, I can start and then maybe kick it to Renee and Suzanne. So what I've really seen is that it's just so varied from place to place. What I've really seen in my work is that in most cases, it really developed from the ground up and local librarians finding local ways to work with local partners. So as I often tell people, if you've been to one library, you've been to one library. And I think there's also just a lot of history to this that we don't really always appreciate or understand. So I always point to this example of a bookmobile in the 1940s in Northeast Georgia, which not only circulated books, but also brought along the county nurse to provide kind of rudimentary health screenings and services. So those types of local partnerships, I think, have been woven into the profession from the beginning, I would argue, but really have not really been seen as kind of central, at least in terms of national conversation. So anyway, yeah, I'd love to turn things to Renee in particular. Renee alluded to, we came together around this Play Streets program. So Renee, I'd love to hear more about the Play Streets concept and just how public libraries got involved in this research project that you were doing. Yeah, absolutely. I love talking about this project. So thanks for the, the, the invitation to expand a bit. And just for a little bit more context, for those of you not familiar with Play Streets, is they really have been in more of an urban setting for decades, if not a century in different ways. And it's traditionally closing down a street so it's safe and there's a safe place for people, kids specifically, to be physically active. And there's usually different types of temporary or pop-up types of play, um, loose equipment and the such. And in rural communities, my colleague Keisha Pollock-Porter at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and I were able to partner with four different rural communities in different parts of the nation to really say, hey, do these work in rural communities and what does that look like? And in that work, our rural communities very rarely use streets because if you have a one main thoroughfare going through a rural community, you can't just shut that thing down. And so they're using more public spaces. And so sometimes that was a parking lot or a field or outside of a community center. And in one of our 
communities in rural Oklahoma, we actually had one of our play streets held and kind of hosted by the library and the community. And so outside of the library was where kind of the play streets and this pop-up play types of things. So think about hula hoops and bouncy houses or different types of sack races or different types of just active play that has very limited structure to it. But being housed at the library, there was also open library access. And so you had people coming and going and engaging not only and their library time, if they were primarily there for the library, but also getting to see the opportunity for their kids to play. Or if they showed up for the um, play street itself, that they also then were encouraged and in the space of a place that's inviting to go in and figure out what else their libraries have available for them. We also had a Texas partner that was actually an extension partner that was hosting the play street, but they invited in a bookmobile to come and actually have representation. So those families who were engaged in those play streets were able to check out a book at the same time as showing up to play. And that was part of a summer meals program as well. So something that you said, no, like those partnerships, what I've really seen is the responsiveness to what community needs are. And so in those play streets examples, those partners, those library and partners were key and essential either for there is space often outside of a library that's not on a road that can be safe to add something to or to be able to show up and support and provide those resources to other community members. The other thing I will say, and then I will pass the baton one more time, is I have been really impressed and fascinated by sort of the checkout system, which is so key to libraries. But being able to go and check out health-related resources. So you can go check out an entire activity kit in some of these libraries and use that within the community outside of the library itself. And that's even on top of some of the other events that are being hosted by libraries. So that would be my initial response. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think also a lot of this depends on how you define health or health promotion. I think a lot of times when people talk about health, they think about it as far as you know, the nurse or the blood pressure screenings and things related to our physical health. But as Renee was alluding to the ideas of focusing on social determinants of health and getting exercise, building health literacy, reading books about health or getting, you know, cookbooks out so you can have healthy recipes. Or, you know, in my work, I encountered that an aspect of social determinants of health among immigrants was going to the library for English as a second language classes, building relationships, making connections, going on field trips, and becoming accustomed to the culture, is specifically in the United States, as that's what my research focused on. And so I think that if we take this broader social determinants of health view, the question isn't what is the role of public librarians in this work, but what aren't they doing that's related to this? And how isn't this kind of a natural partnership? So I think that that's a really important thing to think about is what are those kind of softer skills that libraries are helping to develop or areas related to creating safe places, not just providing space, but safe places or cooling centers, heating centers, etc. I really like that idea of these public libraries as public spaces that create opportunities for multiple kinds of engagement, multiple aspects of health can be reached there. As Suzanne was starting to mention, I want to push a little bit deeper into not only the space of physical libraries, but the work of the librarian. And so how is the work of the public librarian similar to that of public health professionals? 
Yeah, I can jump in and definitely invite others as well. But I'll just start by saying this spring, I had the opportunity to go to the South Carolina Public Health Association Conference, uh, <laughs> which was the first public health conference I've ever been to that had public health explicitly in the name in that way. And so Kay Bender, the current president of the American Public Health Association, was there. And one of the things that she talked a lot about is just how misunderstood public health work is. I think as Suzanne alluded to, we kind of maybe understand what a doctor does or what a nurse does, but what does a public health professional really do? And I think one of the things that we're struggling with is that there's the same confusion about public library work. I mean, you may understand oh, book clubs and story time and checking out your books, but that's really just the tip of the iceberg. And so I think there's a similarity there in terms of just the misunderstood nature of the identity of the work and the need to really advocate for public funding. I mean, I think there are also as we saw during COVID-19 in particular, really, really stressed institutions that are really in need of a lot of love and support. And so, yeah, that would be a few things that I would say. I think one of the things I found as well in my research was that once the direct services like blood pressure screening stopped, people, you know, patrons in the library didn't know that the public librarian couldn't really help with that. And so I think that there is a incentive or a push in the field of library and information science to provide trainings related to health information for library professionals so that they are able to talk about it. But I do think that at the core of it, and I think one of the reasons why I really love this type of collaboration is that kind of at the heart of all of this, public health professionals and public librarians seem to really have the same mission to respond to community needs as we've talked about a bit. And so being able to collaborate and combine on efforts, specifically ongoing collaborations, seems to me to be a really good way so that no one becomes overburdened in their work and people can really share their strengths and learn from each other in order to serve the community. And Suzanne, I want to jump off of what you were just saying there in terms of making this sustainable because as you and Noah were saying, that this is a largely misunderstood role, but they have roots in the community and they have trust. Folks are still coming back to them once these resources have ended. And so how do we ensure that this work is sustainable and does not become burdensome for library workers? Yeah, well, I think that's a really good question. And I think that, you know, there's definitely challenges in this area. And I think there's also some really good examples that exist as well. And so I think that if there's funding, I think that's kind of the core of everything is just having the money to do these collaborations and then setting kind of boundaries and agreements and roles with the community partners in order to make sure that everyone's on the same page. So just making sure that this can continue and it can continue sustainably and reliably. I feel like I'm answering the question with the same kind of words and question that you're using. But like Noah said at the beginning, he said that once you visited one library, you visited one library. I think it's kind of the same for these collaborations where what works in one library might not work in another library for a myriad of reasons, you know, location of the library, resources and funding, as well as community needs. So I think that it really comes down to just like funding and then a shared agreement with the community partners at the core to make it sustainable. 
Yeah, and I would agree. And I would just add from a rural perspective, and Renee, feel free to jump in. I think in rural America, a lot of it really comes down to relationships. And I think there's a real need to build relationships. So in our survey that we did on preparedness of public libraries to be resources and partners in play streets, we asked the 130 rural library respondents, if you could see yourself kind of working with partners on hosting a play street, who could you see yourself working with? And only 6% listed the local health department. Much more common was just a local government, parks and recreation, local businesses. And we see this in other data sources as well. The National Association of City and County Health Officials and their profile of local health departments shows that libraries are the least common community-based partner. So I think in addition to the more formal agreements and funding, I think there's also just a, a huge opportunity to build and sustain relationships, which I think is even before you get the funding and memorandum of understanding is what drives behind the so that's really why I would start in terms of sustainability is, is really making sure that anywhere in America, <laughs> anyone working to promote health has their public librarian on the Rolodex. Yeah, no, and I, I would say that just to build off of what both of you have said is I think the awareness piece is huge. I mean, you heard each of us in our stories and kind of our aha moments, and I, I feel like I came from it from being somewhere completely different and realizing, oh my goodness, why wasn't I thinking about libraries as a partner specifically in these rural communities? But one of the things that I have loved about being connected with Noah specifically is that he is sharing all of the stories that he's finding across different networks. And I think the more that we can share the stories of what one rural library is doing or what one library is doing, even if they're not in a rural community, even though it might not be the same context in another library, it still is a story of, oh my goodness, this is what another library is doing. And this is a story from the public health side of where a library was a key partner. And I think for whatever reason, even though, as you were saying, Suzanne, how similar the missions are of public libraries and public health, for whatever reason, we're siloed. And so trying to just bring about that awareness to where those relationships and those conversations can start, I think is huge. And then yes, of course, budget's always always part of it. But I think part of it is truly awareness at this point still of realizing that these are great partnerships. There's lots of shared ideas, shared vision, mission, and things that we can do together. Yeah, I just want to say I do agree. And, you know, I was kind of jumping the gun, you know, thinking down the line, but I do think that those shared partnerships and being creative and resourceful of those partnerships is really important. Building that community trust and making sure that the programming responds to the needs of the community members in a meaningful way is really important. And then the funding would be. The yeah. But I, I think, Suzanne, you do raise a really interesting point, because let's imagine we get past awareness, we get to the point of relationships, there is still that question of sustainability. And in my research, I have seen in some cases where relationships fall apart because they're driven by particular staff members. So there may be a particular librarian who has a contact in the health department, and then for whatever reason, staff, it turns over. And plus, we had a pandemic, which <laughs> put everyone kind of, but I, I, yeah, I won't share this, but there was a, because of confidentiality and IRB, but I, I did interview some people where there was a longstanding partnership between the two agencies that essentially is now dead because of turnover and staffing. And so there is that need to make it a priority written into strategic plans on both sides and to really kind of make it more than just an ad hoc, nice if it happens, not a big deal if it doesn't. 
Absolutely. I totally agree with what you all three are saying about this need and the lack of funding, but also this piece about having a long-term vision with your partners and being rooted in that community. And so obviously there are these benefits to these partnerships, but what could be done through identifying these strengths and collaboration? What does sustainability look like with public health and library workforces? I think we've built the case for that, but what is the benefit here? What do you see for the future of that? Yeah, I mean, I'll jump in. I'm always happy to talk. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I honestly think, I mean, this is a little bit glib, but I honestly think kind of dialogue and conversations like we're having today are a big part of it. I mean, I think kind of creating spaces at the national and state and regional level to kind of have conversations like this one. And kind of maybe if there's a state public health conference, inviting some public librarians, and then in the public library side, inviting health people to come into our spaces and conferences as well. And and just, yeah, having more dialogue and conversation beyond the local level, I think is a big part of that. I'll piggyback this a little bit. I think you're absolutely right. No, I think the other thing that kept going through my mind over the last few minutes was the idea of getting this into the training of our future generations of our colleagues is how do we integrate this, either whether it's case studies or some of this into the classroom within both the public health training and as well as in terms of library science and how do we have that be part of the background and, oh, maybe I should think about a librarian sooner than later. And so I'm wondering if there's also a part of that stage of not only across different venues and absolutely this conversation and similar ones, but also in terms of how do we start that conversation to get it integrated sooner? Yeah, I think the idea of, you know, having it part of strategic plans, thinking through how do you get the higher ups, not just the people working in the organizations in the library to collaborate, like Noah was saying, kind of cause some collaborations to fizzle and burn. But how do we build a case from the community up the chain to make sure that that funding is there? There's the strategy there. There are benchmarks. I think one of the big benefits of having public health partnerships is that often people are focused on program assessment and measurement to make sure that outcomes are met. So making the case for any grant funding or any continued funding that the program is actually making a difference as well could be really helpful, but also just making sure that they're responding to community needs and that the programs and collaborations are really driven by the people in the community. Yeah, and I'll just piggyback on that, what you said, Suzanne. I think another really strong opportunity is to have partnerships that are driven around evaluation, because one of the things that I've learned from <laughs> library science, I mean, we don't talk nearly enough about evaluation and don't have anything close to the sophistication that the people in health promotion and public health have regards to evaluation. So through Renee and her colleagues, I've had the opportunity to get involved with the physical activity, policy research and action evaluation network or PAPREN and the Rural Active Living Work Group. And they've provided me with a huge education about evaluation. And I think that's a big part of why it's so under-acknowledged is because public librarians don't really have the skills to really evaluate the impacts that they're having both on health and the social determinants of health. And without that infrastructure, it can be very difficult to make the case. So yeah, I think that's so, so important. You know, I think one other thing that while uh, y'all were both speaking that flagged me is I feel like all three of us see the connection and see that shared vision. And I'm actually wondering if some larger conversations on some unifying areas to focus could be 
another way of thinking like that zero to five in terms of literacy development, as well as the importance of nutrition and little bodies moving and how important all of those things are to the development of a whole person in a healthy way and all the way through the life course for that standing. And I feel like this is happening because there is that shared mission to the community, to the people and vision. But I'm wondering if some more frank conversations and even brainstorming sessions across just bringing some think tanks together could be really, really useful to help really frame out, hey, this is what we could work together towards in a way that really has both and other partners at the table in that. Absolutely. And I like where your train of thought is. So I have a few more rapid fire questions. The first one is given this need and the lack of excitement where there should be so much excitement for these partnerships, what does the 21st century library look like as you envision public health 3.0? Really quickly, what are some things that we can see or want to expect here? Well, I'll just say from library science, I mean, we really want librarians to be visible in the community. And so we want the library to be a safe space, but we also want librarians to be out kind of building relationships with communities out and be that visible kind of anchor advocate for lifelong learning, access and equity. So that's really what I would say is central to what I think the 21st century library will look like or hopefully will look like. I think there's lots of room for innovation about what this looks like. There's examples of, you know, subsidized housing developments being built with libraries in the first floor in Chicago. There's examples of all different kinds of things that are happening. And so I think that the more people who are at the table and having these conversations, the more innovative people can be in what this 21st century library looks like. And just as one final chime in, what I would hope for would be that when groups are getting together and we're starting coalitions or collaborations or partnerships, that it is a more immediate, do we have somebody from the library in this conversation? And I think that's just something that it's always that assessment of who's not at the table right now. And I think that has been a missing link and a very important missing link. So that'd be a hope for a 3.0. Fantastic. And I think you've all really circled around this idea of where we go from here about these conversations. Renee, you're saying having people at the table more immediately and starting those conversations. But I think as you all have echoed locally, regionally, nationally, having this bigger conversation, getting those resources, that funding, those relationships beyond just one individual. So in case things change, these are sustainable. And we really integrated our thought process about how librarians are part of public health and how we can support them better because they are so rooted in the communities. I want to say thank you three so much for your time and your insight on this topic. It has been a pleasure to chat with you all. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know by tagging us or responding to our promotions on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also find out more about the Health Promotion Practice Journal from Sage or Sophie's websites. All of these links can be found on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash health dash promotion dash practice. Take care and have a great day.